So a couple of these will be multiple verse, uh, multiple verse uh, references. So by the end of the year, um, you you might have like 18 verses under your belt that are all gospel shaped. Hopefully that'll be a blessing to you, help you um, just in your own walk with Christ, help you in your uh, ministry. Uh, Word of God is always a treasure when we're able to hide it in our hearts. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Father, pray that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, our guide, our mentor this morning, that you would reveal to us um, the glory of Christ in just a bit uh, bigger way, um, the call to be lovers of people in a bit bigger way. Um, I, I, th- I think when I... I know when I read passages in Scripture that, t- that call me to love other people, um, I'm okay with that if it's people that I like. If it's a people that hold my values, if it's, if it's people that um, like the same kinds of things I like, if it's um, people that have the same faith, if it's mm, people that were raised the same way I was. When I think about liking, loving people that are radically different from me, that's a little bit more difficult to swallow. And so this morning as we talk, um, I pray for myself, and I pray for uh, those here who know Christ, that we not put up barriers to the work of the Word, and to the work of the Holy Spirit, that we would be moldable and pliable like the clay on that wheel so that you could make out of us um, something more and more useful for your kingdom, um, more and more um, uh, that our relationship with you is um, built and solidified and um, that when people see us and when people talk with us they might know that we are shaped and molded by the word of God and the living Christ himself. We pray against the enemy who hates you hates your people and even those who are still playing on his team he hates as well and that you would bind him this morning and muzzle him in Jesus name. Amen. So in the month of January, we have a, uh, we're doing a sermon series called Identifiable, which talks about the various kinds of love that help identify us as followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, today is something of a bleed over uh, from last week's sermon. The title is Broad Love. Broad, B-R-O-A-D, Broad Love. Um, because as I uh, said when I was praying, I I think that uh, we are by nature selfish people, and so by nature very self-serving. Love by its nature is very other-serving. It's very other-preoccupied. But to stretch ourselves, sometimes to stretch ourselves where Jesus wants us to go uh, might be a stretch too, too far, and hopefully as we go through, I'm going to kind of use a case example of this this morning. Um, 
If you're following the news this week, Dylan Roof was sentenced to be executed. Dylan is the man who went to a uh, Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina about a year and a half ago, uh, sat with this group in Charleston for about 45 minutes, um, went through the Bible study with them, then stood up, pulled out a Glock uh, 45 caliber and proceeded to kill nine people at that Bible study. It's, it, it's been interesting to follow this. Uh, Betty and I were actually in, in Charleston. Um, I think I shared this with you some time ago. We were in Charleston here in, in um, October and saw the courthouse where this trial is going on. I actually talked to somebody there about, uh, about the trial. Uh, but it was interesting, one of the um, Tawanza Sanders, 26-year-old guy that was uh, one of the victims, this is what his father said to Dylan in the courtroom this week. I wish they could enact another law to cut off a limb every time you go up to appeal. Now, what he means is that it's probably going to be quite some time until Dylan is actually executed because of of all the appeals that are going to have to work their way through the court system. And so what this father desired was that every time he would uh, set forth an appeal in court is that he would get an arm cut off or a leg cut off. Now, contrast that with the daughter of uh, Ethel Lance. She was 70 years old. She was also a victim that night. This is what she said um, after her mother was killed that, that week. She said this to Dylan. I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never, ever hold her again. But I forgive you. Now, my friends, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about this morning when I talk about broad love. Andrew referenced uh, his opening, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. That's a passage of Scripture that is often read at weddings. Um, we talk about love and we read it. But if you live like that, that is radical. I mean, just the, just the one line, love keeps no record of wrongs. You husbands, you wives, you practice that in your marriage? Or when you have a quarrel, do old sins that your partner committed get brought to the surface again? Oh, you're like that. You're, you're, that's just who you are. You're always doing this. I remember four weeks ago or four months ago or four years ago, love, real love keeps no record of wrongs. It always trusts. It always hopes. So we're talking, we've been talking about radical things this month. When we talk about the, the kind of love that God, as Andrew says, not only calls us to, but has modeled for us. And so this morning, when we talk about broad love, I want you to think about people that you would be least likely to love. And realize those are exactly the kind of people that God calls you to love. God sent his one and only son for you, and you and I are no prizes. And he didn't send Jesus for us after we got our act together or when we straightened up or when we repented. He sent Jesus while we were yet sinners. 
Turn to Luke chapter 9. Interesting little incident in the life of Jesus and his disciples. It's not recorded in any other gospel account. There's really no kind of teaching that comes out of that where when it's all over, Jesus looks at them and tells them, do this, do that. I want you to understand this or that from that. It's, it's, it's kind of a standalone little story. But man, does it have some noise to make in our own lives. Luke chapter 9, beginning of verse 51. <clears throat> As the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, he resolutely sent out, set out for Jerusalem. It's kind of interesting. It doesn't say as the time drew near for Jesus to die or to go to the cross. He, he sees the whole um, picture of redemption here. Cross, burial, death, um, resurrection, ascension to heaven. I, did, I put them in bad order, didn't I? I said burial and then death. Jesus was dead when they buried him. Um, the whole picture of redemption is in view here when it talks about Jesus ascending back to heaven. Verse 52, he sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, <laughs> here's a picture of love if there ever was one. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went on to another village. Now, we've talked many times here about the tensions between Jews and Samaritans. It's not a fond relationship. A lot of history to it. Went back 700 years before the time of Christ. When the Samaritans, who were Jewish people, uh, had other people groups that the Assyrians had conquered planted in their communities, and so they start to marry these other people, and their Jewish, pure Jewish blood is now diminished and, and, and tainted in the eyes of the, Jew, the Jews in the south. And the Samaritans despised the Jews right back. And so it is kind of interesting. Jesus was apparently coming from Galilee, up here, Jerusalem down here, and in between those two places is Samaria. Now, they could have avoided all that if they simply gone east and gone down the eastern side of the Jordan River, cut down through Perea, and then cut back into Jerusalem and Judea. They could have avoided all this trouble. Instead, they're going through Samaria, and they're trying to find a place to stay and trying to find a welcome there, and they don't find any welcome. It wasn't just that Jesus was a Jew, but that he was going to Jerusalem because in the Jewish understanding, Moses' law basically taught that when you celebrate any religious holidays, you do so in Jerusalem. The Samaritans believe that when you celebrate any religious holidays, you do that at Mount Gerizim. So the sacred place to the uh, Samaritans was Mount Gerizim, and this was a huge flashpoint in the tensions between the two. Again, way back in history, hundreds and hundreds of years in history influencing this. And so the fact that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, that was what really ticked them off. And so they're like, no, we, we don't have any place for you to stay. There's no welcome for you here. And James and John, and their, and their name is... <laughs> Bonergis, which means sons of thunder. And so we think their personalities might have been along those lines. So when they hear that they're not going to get a reception, they're, they're ready to go to war. 
They had this idea that my group, my group is who I love. And so we're all Jews, so we love the Jewish people, and, and we're all followers of Jesus here. We're part of Jesus' band. And so anybody pushes back against us, we're going to un, unleash the heavens against, against them. Our tribe, our group, it's all, of, it's all about us. Now, when Jesus came to town, one of the things that he was intent on doing was changing all that. He's now in town as the king. And so loyalties to king and to governor and to ethnic group uh, and to tribe and to football team, all of that has changed. Let me take you to a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 17, Peter's saying, and remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. Now, Peter was writing here to Jewish people, Jewish Christians, but Jewish people primarily who have this deep entrenched loyalty to Moses and to their own people. And of course, the, the rift between Jew and Samaritan um, was was really intense, but the, Jew between, uh, the rift between Jew and Gentile, meaning all non-Jews, was even greater. And so that was a huge problem, as we find out in Acts 10, when Peter's, you know, going to see Cornelius. Um, the idea of going to see a Gentile Roman soldier was just not in, his, not in his worldview. And so he's writing other Jews, Jewish Christians, who have a similar worldview, and he's reminding them, don't forget... God doesn't play favorites. The heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to not your bloodline, but according to what you do. And so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Now, what's his point? His point is that you and I get to live on this planet Maybe 80 years if God pours out his grace to that degree. Maybe 60 years. Maybe 40 years. Maybe 30 years. The bottom line is it doesn't matter how long we're here. It's a temporary home. We are just here for a season. And there is a loyalty that God calls us to that goes far beyond this temporary home that checkmates these kinds of loyalty. And so, I mean, all of us have these loyalties. I, uh, those of you who know me, I think know that I am a devoted patriot. I think if you cut me, I'd bleed red, white, and blue. I love this country. When we sing the national anthem, I, I mean, I can rarely get through that song before I get choked up. I, it just, it grips me. I am so grateful for this country. With all of its flaws, I love this land. My son just finished his time in the military uh, officially out this past week. Yes. Um, but commitment to this nation, that, that matters to me. I'm a Washington Redskins fan, so I might bleed burgundy and gold when you cut me. But my loyalty is beyond these kinds of groupings. I love this church. But my prior loyalties are different because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And this was something that James, uh, Peter, James, and John did not yet get 
at this time when they're going through this town in Samaria. I was looking at some YouTube videos this week of football fan fight. I mean, it just <laughs> blows my mind. You go to see a football game, it's going to last like three hours, and then you go back to your job and you go back to other more important things. But you get enough alcohol involved and you have a ticket high enough up in the cheap seats and suddenly you can't see the game. I'm sure that's part of the problem. You can't see the game anyway, so you need something to do. But to see these people fighting, you know, one guy has a jersey on the Oakland Raiders, another guy, Kansas City Chiefs or whatever, and, and they're slugging it out. Guys are falling down several rows, you know, and, and another guy picks that guy up down here and starts bashing him again. I mean, did you re read about that Ravens game? There's a guy that was in a coma over a, over a fight at a football game. I'm like, what kind of tribalism leads to that kind of insanity where is the where is the core of our love where's the core of our loyalties we were at uh, grandson's basketball game yesterday and I was teasing my daughter I'm hearing her back there you know talking about the refs bad calls and about the kids how they're playing and all that and I said to Betty and I said did I was that, was that me when our kids in junior high school or elementary school? Um, probably. It probably was. I know it was when it was high school. But you think about that. I mean, even high school games, it gets to be this kind of slugfest where fans from the opposite side are slugging it out because of, because of a game on the field or because of what the ref is or isn't calling. I mean, think about the, what I'm trying to get at is, is our loves are like so down here in the trash can in terms of what really matters to us. And that we have the, there are small groups and, and outside of that group, we're really not all that fond of you. I'm not really concerned about what your needs are, about what your hurts are. I'm not concerned about what your feelings are. But my group, I, my group, I am. And I, I think that the love that we have for the people that we like and feel comfortable with is a very natural, it, it comes naturally. We're drawn to people that think like us. We're drawn to people that, that share values with us. We're drawn to people that have the same kinds of interests as, uh, as we do. You know, I love to hang around guys that like to hunt. Um, I don't like to hang around guys that hunt that get things because that's just disconcerting. But I love to listen to hunting stories. It's, that's something I just enjoy, you know. And, and I like being around people like that. You know, if people are going to sit around and talk about embroidery, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so fond of hanging out with you. It's natural to find a group of people or groups of people that we enjoy being with, and then our love is extended to them. Listen, that's usually a very narrow, a very narrow path that we're on in terms of who we love. The, the broad path that God wants to put us on is a supernatural path that you can't pull off apart from a work of grace. You talk about forgiving the man who killed your mom, that takes something supernatural. You can't do that on your own. Case study. What I mean by broad love. In the 2016 election, the premier topic of conversation was about immigration, right? 
It didn't matter what, whether you're Democrat, Republican, you're talking about immigration, your thoughts, your mindset, your mentality about immigrants. We've got this porous southern border, um, illegal immigrants coming across the border from Mexico, through Mexico, from El Salvador, whatever. Growing concern that terrorists are going to use that, um, that door to get into our country. Interestingly enough, most of the arrests have taken place regarding terrorists and plots that were in place but never got carried out because uh, authorities uh, caught up with them. Most of those entered through Canada and not through Mexico. But anyway, it didn't matter whether, what candidate you had an opinion on immigration. We're going to build a wall, as President-elect Trump says. We're going to build a wall along the southern uh, border. Um, this current administration took a different approach. In fact, just in the last less than three months, we've brought in 25, over 25,000 new refugees. And we've seen the pictures in Europe of Syrian refugees, Iraqi re refugees pouring across the borders into Europe, flooding, literally flooding Europe. And we're like, not here. We don't want that coming here. And there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of tension and hard feelings during the election over what should be the right position of the American people regarding immigration, refugees. Now, if you are responsible for a leadership position in America, Director of Homeland Security, President of the United States, a governor, on and on, I think uh, in the wake of some of the comments during the election, I think some 31 governors signed documents saying they would not receive refugees from Syria um, or Iraq they were brought in. So if you, have a, if you have a key leadership role like that, your number one responsibility, this is my understanding of how re the republic should function, your number one responsibility is to keep the citizens of that country safe. There are a thousand other things you might do, but that's bottom line responsibility. And so our president and our governors and Homeland Security and the military and the police, they, they have a primary responsibility to say, what would be the right thing to do to protect our citizens? And that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about what do people who follow Jesus Christ think and then act on when people start coming to our shores that we think might be a threat to us, who have a different religion than we do, who have different cultural habits and manners than we do, who might not even like us, who might even have some evil designs on us. How do we respond? Is, is that a place where I mean, when we say something, when we use this term, a phrase, broad love, should that apply to that? Or is that like, no, we'll go this far. I love, I love people up to here, but my goodness, that's a bridge too far. First of all, just from a vantage point of mission work, my goodness. Five years ago, two years ago, today, not a one of us could get a visa to get into Syria to do mission work or into Iraq to do mission work. 
If you wanted to go to Saudi Arabia and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Muslims in that land, you couldn't do it. You couldn't go to Kuwait. You can't go to Iran as a missionary. But what if God, in his infinite wisdom, his great love for people we don't know, moves them in a crisis situation out of their homeland where they are kept from the gospel into other homelands where there are all kinds of people who know Christ and they might even settle next door to them or they might have their kids go to school with their kids or they might work where they work. What if God thought that would be a great way to introduce Muslim people to Jesus. Just from a missionary van vantage point. And what if God, in his infinite wisdom, thought that maybe this would be a great opportunity to see if the people of God in the United States of America really have the commitment to loving in a way similar to the Lord Jesus Christ's love for them by sending them these people that may even do them harm. What if? You see, we ultimately are not Americans. We are not smokers or roars or eshes, bilers, no deckers. We ultimately aren't fans of this football team and that football team in terms of the prior loyalties. Our prior loyalty is to God Almighty and the things that he calls us to and the people that he calls us to. We have new responsibilities once King Jesus came into our lives. Let me take you to John chapter 17. Well, actually, before that, I want to have you look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. And I think this is especially instructive for us. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that God was very um, cautious with letting Jewish people rub shoulders with, become involved with their pagan neighbors. And his reason for that was because he was afraid that they would get more influenced by their pagan neighbors than they would influence their pagan neighbors. And that's exactly what happened. But hear this in light of that. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. God says, so you too, this is in the days when the nation of Israel is being set up. All right, they've fled Egypt and they are now becoming a nation state for the first time. So you too must show love to foreigners. Now, it's interesting, there are a number of passages in the Old Testament like this that say other things like you can't oppress foreigners, you can't um, mistreat them in any way. But look at the verb he uses here. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You too were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. And I think one of the points that God was trying to make was uh, I'm the king here your loyalty is first and foremost to me now Israel was really set up like that it eventually had kings but it didn't at first it had judges 
that were kind of a spiritual, um, political, were spiritual political leaders. Kings came because Israel stamped its foot and said, we want a king like other nations. That wasn't God's original plan. God was the king. And so God wants Israel to understand, I'm, I'm calling the shots. And when people from other nations, other loyalties come in and they become part of you, you're to love them. You're to give them a home. You're to help them when they are in dire straits and they find themselves in great times of need. This is, this is your calling because I'm the king. And your first loyalty is to me. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, we read a little bit uh, last week in that John chapter 17. I want to revert to that again. John 17, uh, middle of verse 14. Jesus is praying to his father right before he goes to the cross. He says, and the world hates uh, my disciples. The world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Jesus didn't acknowledge that he was ultimately um, part of a particular group here on earth, that he was Jewish first, or that he was um, under the rule of Rome. It's like... I'm not of this world. And so my ultimate loyalties don't lie with, with this world. And that's the reason that we can look at people that maybe we don't like or that we're scared of and, and say, you know, through the power of Jesus Christ, I, I can love you. Strike that. Through the power of Jesus Christ, I'm called to love you. I mean, Jesus said an awful lot about people that we don't like, maybe people who've hurt us, people that are against us. Luke chapter 6, beginning of verse 32, he says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? And then he says this, and isn't this true? Even sinners love those who love them. People have circles of love that are comfortable for them, that are easy for them. And Jesus says, that's what, that's what you do naturally. But if you are supernaturally empowered, there's something different going on. If you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those, we're gonna talk about that next week. If you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. So here's, here's, my, here's a big question I have for us this morning. are the people that we are willing to love for Jesus' sake. Only the people that sinners would love. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm using the word sinners here, uh, we're Christians, we still sin, but I'm using the word sinners to, th to talk about people who have not turned to Christ in faith. Are the people that you and I are willing to love only the people that people without Jesus would love. Do you and I stand out by virtue, are we identifiable by virtue of the magnitude 
of the path of people we're willing to love. Do we look different? Do we love differently? You know, the interesting thing is um, when we think about refugees coming to this country and bothered by that, if we are bothered by it, is that all of us are historical to this country. We are historically refugees. I don't care if you go back six generations here in America. You're a refugee. Unless you have Native American blood, you came here. <laughs> you, you were an immigrant. I was an immigrant. My, my far as I know, my genealogy goes back in, to the colon, colonies. A couple hundred years. But my forebears came here from Switzerland and Germany in part for, for um, freedom of faith. So I, I'm an immigrant. My, my family's roots, we're, we're immigrants going way back. You're an immigrant. We're all immigrants. So this idea that we somehow have something um, that we have to protect and guard against uh, from others is, is somewhat questionable. But let me go further. All of us are spiritual immigrants. All of us are spiritual refugees. You say, what do you mean? I, I, now, I don't know all of you, and I don't know all your backgrounds, but I, I have yet to hear there's, there's any of us that have Jewish heritage, Jewish blood. And if that's the case, and you know Christ, that means that you and I have been grafted in. Judaism, God never intended that there would be one religion in the Old Testament, Judaism, and then a new religion in the New Testament, Christianity. It was one faith. Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to complete it. And now those things of the past that were designed to lead to me, the sacrifices and, the, and all of the stuff at the temple, that's all done. I'm the sacrifice. I'm the temple. I'm the tabernacle. That's, a, that's all done. And the Jews, God was calling the Jews to receive Christ as the Messiah that he had promised them for millennia. It was the rejection of the Jews that made the early church begin to rapidly change into a more and more Gentile church. You read Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, you're going to see that you and I were refugees. We were spiritual outsiders that got in in part, Paul says anyway, in part because of the hardness of Jewish hearts against Christ. So let me take you to Ephesians Two, and we're going to wrap up here. Ephesians chapter 2. This portion of Ephesians 2 is all about the miracle of Jew and Gentile being brought together in the local church in Christ. And it's an amazing story. If you can think about the, the, the greatest tensions in our culture from one people group to another whatever they might be, 
that would be, you would get just a little bit of an idea of how remarkable it was that Jew and Gentile could worship together in the same church, could serve together in the same church, could reach out to lost people together in the same church. And in the midst of this, Paul says this in verse 12. In those days, you, now he's speaking about Gentile Christians. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now. I love that. Two words change everything. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of, Jesus, uh, blood of Christ. So here's the thing. How can American refugees, and especially American refugees who know Christ, say, we don't want refugees here. How can we, who are grafted in, who are brought to the spiritual shores of Judaism and made one with Jewish people before God right through Jesus Christ, how can we say we don't want the opportunity to lead people who have been led, seriously led astray from the true and living God we don't want an opportunity to befriend them, and to love them, and to go to their homes and to, to share tea with them, or to have our kids play with them in, in school, or to go to college with their kids, or work beside. How, how can we who were refugees say that? And say, well, what, what if they bring danger to my kids? Every missionary family that goes overseas has to wrestle with that. Now we have to wrestle with it. Do we trust God with our kids? Do you trust God with your kids? You see, when we came to Jesus Christ, there, there were no caveats here. Jesus said, are, are, you, are you all in or not? Contractors decide whether or not they have enough money to build a building before they start to build it. You should decide whether or not you're all in if you want to follow me. Generals decide whether or not they have enough soldiers to go to battle and defeat a superior force. You need to decide whether or not you can trust me before you say yes to follow me. Now, I don't know what the new Trump administration is going to do regarding refugees. My guess is, based on campaign promises, things are going to change radically. But should we, as followers of Jesus Christ, even want it to? Or should we long the salvation of people who are held in bonds of darkness to stumble into a land like ours with people like us who love Jesus.
and find deliverance. Let's pray. Father, um, we've talked a lot about refugees this morning, but really this illustrative story of Jesus and his disciples really speaks to all of us regarding any kind of person that we would refuse to love. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't say in the wake of James and John's comments, he didn't laugh with them and say, no, guys, we probably shouldn't do that. He didn't just kind of blow it off and just ignore them. He turned and he rebuked them for their narrow love. And I don't know about my brothers and sisters here, but I I have become all too familiar with the kinds of people that I'm not sure I want to extend my love to. And I pray that you would break my heart and my brothers' and sisters' hearts Forgive us for our stingy love. And that if we have opportunity to forgive a killer, to make friends of a Muslim neighbor, to reach out to somebody that nobody else is reaching out to, that you give us the grace, the supernatural power to do it. Not so we can get a pat on the back, but so that you can gain great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.